This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. I think I'd like to just start off by praying today. So would you join me as we pray? Lord, I don't know how everybody's coming in today. With a, with a group our size, we're probably across the spectrum. Some of us super relaxed, refreshed from a wonderful day yesterday. Others maybe feel like we're carrying a lot of weight today and everything in between. And we come together in this gathering and we always ask you to do something miraculous, which is we ask your Holy Spirit to move in each of us individually in the things that we need, even as you guide us together as a community to understand more of what it looks like to know and love you. And so I'm asking today on my own behalf, Lord, that you would that you would speak to me, that you would speak to my friends, and that you would guide our time. And that you would bring joy and hope and power. In this place, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You ever have to go to work and you feel like there's a lot going on in your own life? Am I the only one? Like, whoever walks into work and thinks, you know what I want to do today? I'm going to stand up in front of four or 500 friends when I have my own stuff going on. It's, it's just one of those unique things about being a part of the gathering is that we come in, uh, everything's good. Just a lot of stuff, you know what I mean? A lot of stuff in life. And so if you're like me today, you got a lot of stuff in life, uh, you can thank God that you don't have to preach. You can pray for your pastor as we jump in. Hey, if you're brand new, uh, my name is Kevin, and I'm one of the pastors on our staff today. I'm going to guide us as we continue to engage with God. Uh, And you're going to want to grab your program, because inside your program... Uh, are some things that we're going to be using today. One is a Start Here card. Uh, This is your all-access pass to our pastoral team. So this is how we pray for you, partner with you. If you have resources that you need, this is is how we can resource you and uh, equip you. We really want to be, um, we want to be a community. Our pastoral team wants to be a community that kind of comes up underneath you and serves as a, a foundational piece to partner with you. So go ahead and fill that out. Uh, we'll be passing baskets at the end of our time together, and you can just drop that in. If you want information about a ministry or an event that's coming up, you can mark that on your card as well. You're also going to want your teaching notes. They'll tell you where we're going today. Uh, we've got this Bible verse that we're looking at that as I unpacked it in my own life and my own mind, boy, it really struck me. And so I'm hoping it does the same for you. Uh, so go ahead and get that ready. And as you're doing all of that, I wonder if you had, if you're a parent, if you had the same phenomenon that I had uh, when we went from one child to two children. So if you're a parent of multiple kids, maybe you had this experience. With one kid, there was work. And so I assumed that with two kids, there would be double the work. And there was, in fact, double the work when Landon came into our life. But then as our children got older and kind of developed more of their personalities and learned how to speak, a second phenomenon happened, which is that not only did we get more children in the house, but we had more parents in the house. That... Maddie really liked to help parent Landon. That Landon really liked to help parent Maddie. And that 
they always liked to, as I was, as I, you know, as I'm parenting and guiding, they would add extra rules in. I'd be, and this happens, this phenomenon happens today. I don't know if you experience this with your kids, that I will be parenting and guiding one of my children, and my other child will come with a helpful tip or an insight. Or Maria and I will be having a conversation, and one of my children will walk around the corner and interject a really engaging five-year-old thought into the conversation. And they think they're helping. They genuinely do. My, my kids are good kids. Your kids are good kids. They think they're helping, but really they are hurting relationships. When they add in to my rules, when they add into kind of the principles that govern our house, when Landon teaches Maddie or Maddie teaches Landon something, it undercuts my leadership. Um, it makes it feel like I have more rules than I actually do because I've set certain rules in our house and then my kids add extra rules to each other and it makes my kids resent each other. Maddie's mad at Landon, Landon's mad at Maddie. It's a really, really bad dynamic when they start adding extra rules to try to help their dad out. But as we grow up, we keep that dynamic in our own lives, don't we? Here's how I know we do. I can almost guarantee that you are an expert at how to raise your neighbor's children. (laughs) You have every thought, every insight. Uh, Listen, you watch them and you think, boy, if those were my kids, if I was their parent, you have every thought, as do I, because before I became the senior pastor, I was on staff with this church, and I'll tell you, more than once I thought, boy, if I was leading the church, I could tell you how to do it. And you've thought that too. If you're not the owner of your business, you've thought to yourself, if I was really leading this organization, if I was the principal, if I was the CEO, if I was the CFO, I, listen, if I was the pastor of that church, I could tell you how to do it right. We all like to add extra to the people in charge. And we're in this series that we're calling The Contrarian's Guide to Knowing God. And in this series, we're exploring what it looks like to genuinely seek God in a way that produces spiritual maturity. If you were raised in the church, we're talking about what it looks like to mature in our following or our discipleship of God. And last year, we looked at the key to spiritual maturity and transformation, and it came from Jesus. And Jesus, in his own words, he said this. He said, I am like a vine, and you guys are like branches. And if you as branches are remain in me, or stay in me, or some translations say abide in me, or engage with me, you will produce what he says is lasting fruit, good things in your life. You will be the kind of person who matures and grows and develops in your relationship with me. If you do this one thing, simply learn how to engage with me in every situation, in every dynamic, all the time. And if that's the key to spiritual growth, then today I want to talk about the other side, which could be one of the biggest hindrances to growing in our faith. And it's the idea of helping God out. Of us, as well-meaning followers of Jesus, adding to God's rules and guidelines and principles in an attempt to help God out. And we're going to talk about a word today that In churches like New Life gets thrown around a bit in our leadership circles, and we kind of rail against it and say, boy, we don't want to be this kind of a church. But we rarely define it, and we rarely talk about what it promises to us, and we rarely talk about what it actually produces in us. 
So today I want to look at this idea of, of helping God out. I want to look at this word. I want to define it. I want to talk about what it promises to us because it promises something that is really good. And then I want to talk about what it produces in us. Because I honestly believe that if engaging with God is key to spiritual growth, then this other thing over here, even though it looks like it is an engine to grow us spiritually, actually has the opposite effect. And the word is legalism. It's in your notes. And here's how we'll define legalism. Legalism is placing rules around the principles that God lays out in the Bible. And then, and this is, this is a big one, and then overlaying those rules onto a group of people. So when I really got serious about my faith, I was, I was a teenager. I was about 17, and I got into a high school youth group and then a college youth group. And in my high school youth group and college youth group, can you guess what the, the main topic of discussion was most weeks? You could start anywhere, but you're a teenager. Girls and sex, or guys and sex, or let's just say sex. That was what we talked about pretty much every week because we're teenagers, and this is what teenagers talk about. And here's what they would say to us. All sex outside of the context of a committed lifelong marriage relationship vastly increases the chance of pain. Pain to you, pain to the other person, pain that comes in the form of when that person marries another person, having to tell stories about you, insecurity in their relationship. So they would say, listen, God says, he gives this principle, all sex outside of the context of this lifelong committed relationship in marriage is going to or highly increases your chance of pain. And so well-meaning Christians in the circles that I swam in, the circles that I swam in, the ponds with which I swam, the oceans with which I surfed, would do something like this. They would say, okay, if all sex out of this circle is, increases your chance of pain, then we're going to add circles on top of the circles or fences on top of the fences. So uh, I, was, I was just watching, um, clicking through Netflix last night and Footloose came on right? I'm just like, gonna get loose. Like, I was, I, why? Because what, what happened in Footloose? Who remembers Footloose? Anybody? Yeah. Woo! And, and what was it? Like, dancing leads to sex, right? So we can't dance. No dancing. No, that's a fence around. Now, I, I could never figure out, I grew up in a, in a Christian church, and I'm telling you, I, I probably shouldn't say this, but I'm going to, um, all of the cutest girls in our city that I grew up in were Mormon. All of them. And they had dances every Saturday. And I thought, well, how come the Christian churches don't get to have dances, but the Mormon church, what's going on here? Why, we're missing something in our evangelistic strategy here. <laughs> but we had fences to God's rules. I remember going to a college group. I was a senior in college, living up here. It was not at our church. Went to a college group hosted by a group of college women who lived in a house. And one of my friends lived at that house. And she said, Kevin, I bought a brand new guitar. I want to show it to you. I was so excited because I played, I, I do, I play guitar a little bit, very poorly. Uh, but I play guitar a little bit uh, because uh, in the 90s, every white Christian dude played guitar. So that's what we did. So, um, 
So we're at this college group, probably 40 of us at this house together. And she's like, the guitar's in my bedroom. So I follow her down the hallway. I get to the bedroom. I get to the door and she's like, stop. I said, what, what, what happened? What, what? She said, boys aren't allowed in our bedrooms. I said, well, why? Because the bedroom is the place where you know, sex happens. Like there's a bed there and we can't be trusted if there's a room with a bed to not. So I'm standing at the doorway like we're at a college group. Worship is happening out here. What? She's like, no, this is, there's a boundary. There's a, that is legalism. If God's principle is this, then we're going to add some fences around the principle to add safety. And the thinking is that we want to, listen, if God's principles are good and right and true, then more boundaries around his principles are gooder and righter and truer. And if God's principles lead to engagement with him, then more rules around the principles will lead to more engagement with him. That's the promise of legalism. Now, the question is, does legalism, adding rules to God's guidelines, does it actually lead us to spiritual growth and transformation? Well, the the apostle Paul, who was this church planner, and I, I love Paul, he'd go around and he would just plant churches. And I love planting churches. Did you know that right now, New Life, because of your generosity, is helping plant two churches in India? Did you know that? Did you know that we just finished a three-year church plant in Santa Rosa? We love planting churches. We love seeing these communities come up and flourish, and it's because of generosity of this community that churches are expanding. Well, Paul starts this church uh, in this city called Ephesus, and right next door to Ephesus was the city of Colossae. And there's a guy named Epaphras who comes over to Ephesus, track with me here, comes to Ephesus from Colossae. He hears Paul preach. He he joins this community. He becomes a Christ follower, and he thinks to himself, I want to go back and plant my own church in Colossae. So Paul hasn't actually started this church, but Paul's in contact with Epaphras, and he's sending letters to the church, helping this fledgling community learn how to grow in their faith, how to engage with God. And in this little fledgling community, uh, these two groups start to form. There's this one group that says engaging with God is enough. There's another group that says, no, if you really want to honor God, you have to have this really strict um, religious formula that included denying yourself of everything. I mean everything. To the point that they would actually start beating themselves to beat the sin out of themselves. And Paul writes to this gathering. Because this, this thing is coming up that says more rules equals more right. Deny, 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 and you will grow, grow, grow. So Paul wants to talk to them about that. And here's what he says in Colossians chapter 2. He says to these people, since you died with Christ to the elemental, I think elementary, think 2 plus 2 equals 4, elemental spiritual forces of this world. And he's going to define what those are in just a minute. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to this world, do you submit to its rules? And here he says it. Rules like do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Fences outside of guidelines. Such regulations indeed have, and this is great, I want you to underline this because we're going to come back to it. Such regulations indeed have the appearance of wisdom. They look wise with their self-imposed worship. 
and their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual or these kind of base indulgences. And according to Paul, legalism promises us something, but delivers something very different. Here's what legalism promises. It promises us that more rules equal more safety. If God gives us a direction and we set more rules outside of that direction, it will keep us safe. If rules are good, more rules are gooder. (laughs) And legalism promises us that if we can create enough boundaries, then we will eventually protect ourselves into holiness. If we can just put up enough fences around us, protect ourselves enough, then we will eventually come full circle with rules and come back into holiness. Engaging with God, learning how to partner with God. That's what legalism promises. More rules equal more safety. And if you set up enough boundaries, you will eventually protect yourself into holiness. It has the appearance of wisdom, according to Paul. But he says it's lacking true depth in spirituality. Because it gives us three very different things. It it produces in us, one, no need for God. According to verse 23, legalism is nothing more than thinly veiled worship of ourselves. Legalism says, I don't need God. If I can set up enough rules, if I can white-knuckle it enough, if I can will myself enough, I can find safety and freedom And God doesn't have to be anywhere around. I'll take God's rules. I'll add more rules to them. And if I can do it, I'm good enough. And if I can't, I'm not. Which leads to the second thing. Legalism produces winners and losers. Think of it like a big pendulum that swings back and forth. Paul says legalism is false humility. It's actually pride. It's a pendulum that says, if I'm keeping the rules good enough— then I'm good enough. And then I look at other people who aren't keeping the rules good enough, and I think, why don't they just shape up? Why aren't they keeping the rules like I'm keeping the rules? Or why aren't they keeping the same rules that I'm choosing to keep? And then if I'm not keeping the rules good enough, I swing to the other side, and I think, oh my gosh, the same measure by which I was judging you, and now I'm judging myself. So either I'm keeping the rules good enough and I'm the winner and you're the loser because you're not keeping the rules like I'm keeping the rules. Or I come to an area of my life where I cannot keep the rules good enough and all of a sudden now I'm the loser. And neither one is God-honoring spirituality. The third thing that it says is it, it actually gives us a false sense of safety. And it gives us a false sense of safety because we're following rules without ever needing to engage with God. And we learned last week that only God can actually transform our lives. We can follow rules, and it will make our lives a little bit better. But it will not ultimately change us from the inside. Following rules can make your marriage a little better. can make your work ethic a little better. can make your finances a little better. But following rules cannot transform our lives. Only, according to Jesus, engaging with him 
can change us here. And only when we get changed here can we stop white-knuckling our way through. So growing up, I grew up in Orange County, and twice a year we'd go up to Medford, Oregon. Do we have anybody who lived on the Oregon border? Any? Really? That's fantastic. To, Todd, you too? Our grandma did. That's great. Yeah, I didn't either. But I like the cowpoke up there in Medford, Oregon. Ranches everywhere. Cows and sheep. Twice a year I got to go up like city slickers. I was like Billy Crystal. And I'd, I'd go into... <laughs> ignore that reference. I, I would go into the farm, and Grandpa wouldn't, was he wasn't looking, he'd be off doing something, and, and my brother and I would, like, herd the sheep, try to ride the cows, you know, like, super fly off the barn onto a cow around the neck. I loved it. Well, down in his pasture, there was a bull on the other side of this fence, and the bull really liked the cows, and so they had an electric fence between the bull and the cows, and there was a big sign that said on it, electric fence, high voltage, Now, no, I was smarter than you actually think I was, because I know what you're thinking. I did not touch the fence. That's why I have a brother. Let's just imagine for a second, though, that I looked at that fence, and I thought, I wonder if it really is electric, and I grabbed a piece of metal, and I threw it on the fence. Let's imagine for a second that nothing happened. It wasn't electrified. But 10 feet inside that fence was another fence that said high voltage electric fence. And 10 feet inside that fence was another fence that said high voltage electric fence. Let's imagine I really wanted to get to that bull. So I throw the metal at the fence. Nothing happens. So I go and I, you know, touch it. Nothing. So I climb over the fence. Then I get to the second fence that says high voltage electric fence. And being that I'm a fairly smart person, I would probably probably throw some metal at it again. But let's assume for a second that that fence also is not electrified and nothing happens. So I climb over the next fence. Now, by the time I get to the third fence, do you think I'm going to throw metal at it again? No, I'm just going to go jump and charge that fence. Now, what if that fence was electrified? I'd get the shock of my life. The same thing happens with legalism. Let's go back to that story about my, that college youth group that I went to visit that time. Let's say that night, she stops me at the threshold of her door and says, no, no boys allowed. And then I step in and I say, look, we actually, we didn't. Are there kids? Yeah, there are. Okay. I'm trying to temper myself. Let's assume I walk into that room and nothing bad, like nothing happens. Nothing happens. And then six months later, I actually start dating this girl. I didn't, Maria, I never did. I just want you to know. But let's assume that I did start dating her. Well, now I know we had set this boundary that says no boys in the bedroom. Boys in the bedroom will lead to, you know what? Well, now I know that going into the bedroom will not actually lead to sex. So now we go into the bedroom and we're laying out on the bed. We're hanging out. One thing leads to another, which it didn't. I just want to be very clear because I never dated her. She is a mythical creature, character in my story. But all of a sudden, that boundary of the bedroom threshold that was supposed to protect me, when I crossed over the boundary and realized it didn't actually shock me to cross over the boundary, well, all of a sudden, it actually creates danger because it set up a wall where there was no need for a wall. Wouldn't it have been better if I just would have been honest with myself and with God about what was going on? That a bedroom is no magical place. That 12 o'clock is not the bewitching hour. 
that you can actually dance to 80s tunes without going into debauchery. Paul's warning to the church is simply this. Do not set up fences where God does not set up fences. If you do, you're gonna, you think you're protecting yourself. You think you're leading to holiness. You think you can protect yourself into safety, but you actually can't. You can't. And legalism always has the appearance of safety, always has the appearance of holiness, but legalism never actually leads to holiness because legalism never engages with God. Legalism engages with rules. But Jesus says, engage with me in relationship and I will transform your life. Now that being said, as I was writing this message, I was sitting in a coffee shop thinking, but I think there are times for appropriate boundaries. I think there are times. And so I just want to give a caveat here because I I think that there are some times when boundaries are appropriate. So I wrote in your notes, extra boundaries are appropriate for a season of life when we realize that we are in a dangerous spot or we realize that we're forming an unhealthy pattern. They're appropriate for a season of life when we realize that I'm in a dangerous spot or I'm forming an unhealthy pattern. If you're spending time engaging with God and God convicts you of an area of life, let's say he convicts you that you've got spending problems, that you are overspending all the time. For that season of life, it might be appropriate to give a friend, a loved one, your spouse, your credit cards and say, I shouldn't hold these credit cards right now. I've got a spending problem. For this season of life, I shouldn't go to the antique fair. We don't need more stuff in our house. Am I preaching to anybody? (laughs) Who's already been today? Anybody? I know you have, Maria. Go ahead. Put your hand up. My wife has. I'm in so much trouble later. Remember, I'm in an emotional, fragile space. You can't get mad at me. Um, It's funny because it's true. Or imagine you find yourself um, with a a drinking problem. For a season... It would be wise to not have any alcohol in your house, maybe. Maybe to not go out to a bar. Maybe your marriage is in a rough spot. For a season, it would make sense to set up extra boundaries to protect your marriage, not to emotionally engage with someone when you know you're at a vulnerable spot here. There are are seasons, but only seasons. Because the truth is, in those seasons, those boundaries become guardrails that keep us from going off a cliff that we cannot recover from so that we can engage with God. There are three distinctives to these seasons. One, it's personal. Legalism always tries to take my experience and put it on everybody else. If I shouldn't drink, no one should drink. If I shouldn't watch this rated R movie, no one should watch this rated R movie. Uh, I'm trying to think, like, outside of those really dumb, stereotypical, like, sins. Yeah. But what legalism does is it takes my personal journey with God and it puts it on everyone else. And anytime we have spiritual authority, it's very important. Whether it's spiritual authority as a parent, spiritual authority in a small group, spiritual authority as a pastor, 
spiritual authority in my workplace, it's very important that I don't take my journey with God and overlay it on everybody else because then it becomes legalism. The second distinctive is that it is for a season. For a season. It will protect you for a season, but it will not lead to freedom in our lives. And it's for a season so that we can do the third thing, which is truly engage with God. Extra boundaries are helpful for, for a season so we don't go off a cliff that we can't climb back up while we engage with God. And I put that chart back in your notes, I think. Uh, yeah, I put that chart back in your notes from last week. If you missed last week's message, go back and listen, because I laid out this chart about what it looks like to engage with God. Sometimes we get angry with God because of what he's saying. We ask questions, and then we, we engage with the process of looking for answers by reading our Bible by seeing what other Christian thinkers have to say, by talking to our community, by engaging with our small group, maybe by experimenting a little bit with the things that God says. It's appropriate to set up boundaries while we're doing this thing so that we don't get out of bounds in a way that relationally we have a hard time recovering from. I, I remember being in my 20s, so uh, like I said, sexuality was a big deal in my 20s. I don't know why, late 90s, they, pastors were all about it. The, you know, college groups were all about talking about this because apparently, you know, late teens, early 20s, that's the sum and total of who we were. Can I get an amen from the singles who are like, I'm more than my sexuality. Can I get? No, okay, fine. <laughs> but I remember talking to God because I personally had, um, uh, pornography was, a part, was an addiction in my life, was a part of my life. I mean, like a pretty serious part in my 18, 19, 20, 21. And I remember about 20 years old saying to God, God, this isn't who I want to be at 30. This isn't who I want to be at 40. I need, to, I need to fix this with you. And God showed me some guardrails I could set up. I got, in my senior year of college, I got rid of my cable. I got rid of my internet. I had to go to the library in college to do my senior thesis paper. It, it, you know, super embarrassing. Like, computers were kind of a big deal in the 90s. They were just, you know, I had my first laptop ever, but I didn't use it. Um, I had accountability friends who I could call at any moment. These were guardrails. These were fences that I had set up because there was a habit that was unhealthy in my life. But if I was still counting on those guardrails to protect me at 36... I would have missed something so powerful, which is engaging with God for freedom. For freedom. At 36 now, I, I, ha- I have a computer. I have cable. Um, I, I have all these things. Why? Because I engaged with God, and God led me to freedom. So guardrails are appropriate for a season, but only for a season, and only to protect us so that we can engage with the one who gives us the principle. God, why are you saying this? God, what do you want to communicate to me? God, how do you want to lead me to freedom? Not to try to protect us for the rest of our lives. And I want to talk to you. If you're here today, and you fall in one of two camps, one, rules have become your safety. Maybe you wouldn't use the language of legalism, but you would use the language of rules. I'm a very rule-oriented person. Rules have become the thing that keeps me safe. I would ask you this week to go back and look at your life, engage with God in this process, and see, are those rules leading to freedom? Or are they simply safety nets that are keeping you from actually engaging with God? 
And the second group I would talk to is, is this. If you're here and you're not a, a follower of Jesus, I want you to know that on our own, the best we can do is self-help. And you're an incredibly um, intelligent, bright, articulate person. I know because you chose new life. So I know you are. And you can get pretty far helping yourself. You can. You can. You can make your marriage better. Uh, You can make your finances better, your relationships better, your job better. You can do a pretty good job helping yourself. Here's what you cannot do with self-help. You cannot experience the transformation of God in your life. And you'll end up white-knuckling it and rule-following for the rest of your life. And God wants better for you. He wants freedom. Freedom. So that you're not always looking to see how close am I to the fence, how close am I to the fence, how close am I to the fence. But you could walk in a different direction. You could find joy and purpose and fulfillment in God. And if, if you're here and you think, boy, that's me, that's what I want, then I'm going to give you some space to engage with God. Just to ask Him. Ask Him to come into your life. Ask the Holy Spirit to fill you. And ask God to begin the process of transformation because that's what God does. He's in the transformation business. Jesus gave his life for us so that we could be restored to our Heavenly Father, so that we could have a relationship with him, remain in him, and experience the transformation internally that leads to transformation externally so that we can engage in this world the way we were designed to engage with it in healthy, helpful, productive ways. I want to give you some space, if that's you, just to go ahead and do that this morning. So, would you join me? Let's, let's pray together. It's so interesting, God, that, that Paul speaks so strongly against this concept of setting up rules beyond your rules. It really is interesting to me that he uses language like self-imposed worship, false humility, producing nothing. Because as we look at setting up rules, they seem to be helpful in a lot of different areas. But for some reason, adding rules to your principles does not help us in our engagement with you. So Holy Spirit, I would ask this week as we head into our lives, as we head into our life groups, as we head back to work and engage with our family and our housemates and our friends, Would you bring this concept to our mind? Would you help us to engage with you around this question? Am I depending on rules to keep me safe? Or God, am I looking to you to bring transformation? And then would you gently guide us towards you? Would you be transforming us in the process? And friend, if you're here today and you are ready to commit your life to God, to start this journey with him, then you can simply give words to this experience that you're having right now. You can whisper these simple words. Just say to God, say, say, Jesus, I believe that you love me, that you gave your life on a cross so that I could be restored to God. And I want to walk with you. So would you come into my life Would you forgive me of my sin that has pulled me away from you? Would you bring healing for the places where the sin of others has damaged me?
And would you show me what it looks like to walk with you every day? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.